Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. My name is Tony. I'm a compulsive overeater. And Ellie, thank you so much for asking me to um, share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, it is such a honor and a privilege to give back to what OA, what has been given to me. Um, I came into the doors um, 36 years ago. Um, and I came in to OA not wanting to be here, just people pleasing. Um, I came to satisfy somebody else who wanted me to go to OA. And I just was like, okay, fine, I'll go. You know, and I met him at this meeting and um, I remember my first meeting like it was yesterday because I walked into the basement of the Temple Beth Am synagogue in Los Angeles and it was all orange. And I thought, oh, this is a really hideous room actually. And it was set up for bingo. And I thought, what is going on here? There were tables, it was just, it was odd to me that I had never been to a meeting like that. And um, I didn't want to be there. Um, I had gone to OA when I was, I want to say 12 or 13. My mom, who was in uh, the other 12-step program, had one of her sponsees take me to an OA meeting who was in OA. And I went, and I didn't understand it. And people were standing around. They didn't know what to do with me. You know, I was 12 years old. You know, they couldn't, they didn't feel like they could speak freely. They didn't know what to say in front of me. They kept looking at me when they were, it was, it was very uncomfortable. And I, I just didn't, it wasn't for me. So when I came to OA, I had, um, I had lost uh, 75 pounds. And when I walked into that first meeting, um, a woman came up to me and she said, what are you doing here? You're thin. And I don't think she meant it in a mean way, um, but I don't know. Maybe there weren't a lot of people, you know, I didn't go to that meeting before that day, so I don't know. But um, so I I was about to leave, um, but I knew that I had nowhere else to go, um, that this was the last place um, because my history is um, I... I name specific foods. Sorry, this is my thing. Um, some people get offended by that. Some people make it makes them uncomfortable. I am so sorry, but this is what this is my story, and I have to tell it because I don't want to think it's okay to go back to doing anything like it again. So I discovered peanut butter and chocolate when I was um, seven years old, and there was a love affair that um, lasted for until I was, <clears throat> you know, well into my twenties. Um, and I put it on everything. I loved peanut butter i let put it on anything i could and i would you know um eat my mom would buy one jar and i would like eat all of it at, you know out of it and then i would scoop it up on the sides to make it look like it was still full and like go to these painstaking rituals to make sure it was in the exact same spot as it was when she left in the morning because i knew she was going to come home go straight to the jar and say you've been in this haven't you because you know she watched she was trying to control my food because she was like how is he how is he getting so fat? And, you know, they were creating these, you know, horrible abstinent, what we would think maybe abstinent, like meals with like, you know, steak with all the fat trimmed off and cherry tomatoes and low fat or no fat cottage cheese. It was just horrible. And so what they, you know, they would leave to go to their meetings and I would raid my piggy bank in her room or steal money or whatever I would go to the store, buy my stash of, you know, these chocolate wonderful things 
and I'm like gaining, gaining. They just could not figure it out if they had just thought like an addict. They would have got it like that, but they didn't. You know, and I would hide food under my bed, and I'd make these. I made what I think was the first chocolate chip cookie pie. You know, I'd make the Pillsbury stuff, and I'd throw it in a pie pan, and, throw, you know, it's great. I ate and ate and ate, and, um, you know, they would send me to the Husky section at um, in, in you know, the stores, and my mom would bribe me, and she'd say, if you lose the weight, we could get you all these great clothes, and she was a clothes horse, and so I had... There was such a, a lot of love in my house. I am not one of those compulsory eaters that ate because there was not a lot of love. I ate because I did not know how to deal with life on life's terms without chocolate and, you know, whatever else my sweet drug of choice was. But chocolate was my love. And um, I got to the point where I, were, I was eating dry brine mix out of a box with a spoon. So that's where I go to. Um, because I didn't know how. I didn't have friends. I didn't know how to be around people. I didn't know how to act around people. And so that was what I turned to. That soothed me. It gave me that feeling of I'd eat it, and I'm like, all right, for just a few more minutes, I can deal with you and you and the situation or whatever, or bullies or whatever it was that I was dealing with. And I had a lot of that. But my parents loved me. My parents, my mom loved me. Um, my stepfather loved me. He did the best he could. My dad, he did the best he could. Um, so, but I just couldn't deal with it other than, than eat. So I got to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I, I, stole out of, I stole food. I got caught. I ate out of the garbage. That was nasty, but I did it because I had to get what I needed to get. Um, and those are the things that I did just to cope. Um, so I got to Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't really want to be here, but I thought, well, you know, okay, maybe there's something here. Um, and I met my the, first, the guy that got me to my first meeting he kind of made himself my sponsor and he was a big like we don't have stars or vips in oa really but we do and he was and he used to show his pants at meetings he used to give marbles out at meetings he said you know when you lose lose your marble you have one of mine or something like that and i and this guy he um he had lost so much weight and he was such a superstar and he would have meetings at his house and um his name was matt um, and Matt M. And he, um, sadly, he died of this disease. Um, he went out and he gained over 400 pounds and he was bedridden. Um, and he died of this disease a couple years ago. And um, I think the most humbling thing was right a few years before he died, he asked me to sponsor him. And I was just, I, I was so overcome by that. Um, but it shows that, you know, I am one mouthful away from going back to what I was because you know people ask me all the time well you you haven't eaten chocolate in 30 you know when else actually it was three years before I got here so it's like almost 40 years you know couldn't you have a little bit now you know don't you have the ability to just have a little bit now I'm like yes you know actually I could I probably could have one little bit today and then in a couple days I think well that wasn't so bad let me have another little bit and then I might not go crazy that day, but then another little bit. And before you know it, I would be back into that box of dry brownie mix. I kid, I know I would. And I don't want to live like that. I don't want the food to control me like that. And still to this day, there are things that I eat and I'm like, that's really good. I'm going to get more of that. And then I know that the disease is coming. It's right here. It's saying, I'm here. I am here. 
And you may think that you don't have, you've gotten rid of me, but I'm always right here waiting for you to just say, yeah, that tastes really good. Let's have more of that. Or I can have that. It's okay. Yeah, you know. So, um, and you know, I believe that God has brought me to this program because um, there were lessons that I needed to learn that I could not have learned outside of OA. Um, I have lost all my parents um, since I've been in OA. Um, my mother, who I was very close to, I lost right very soon after. I think I, I took my year uh, candle with her at Thalian's um, many years ago, and, and we she we thought this was funny because I used to eat um, like mountains of M&Ms a day too, and she for my candle, she bought me this three-quarter-pound bag of M&Ms, and she taped a candle to it with a no symbol on it. And we thought it was the funniest thing ever, but, you know, I think they only erupted in, like, a gasp. It was just a, like, you know, what are you going to do with that bag of M&Ms now, you know? Um, I think we threw it away or we gave it to someone. I don't know. But I, I didn't eat it. That was good. Um, and But I was able to share that with her, um, and that was, you know, really a gift to share my first birthday in OA. Um, I, as I said, when I came in, I didn't want to be here. My first six months, I memorized everything that we said. I got a service commitment because I knew that if I didn't have a service commitment, I would not keep coming back. And I got a service commitment um, at my first Sunday night meeting at the log cabin. Um, I carried the microphone. At that point, we used to have these huge, this big standing microphone and the speakers and the whole thing. I carried that around in my car for six months because I knew that if I didn't go to that meeting, they wouldn't have a microphone. It was very important. So I would carry that. And then they finally registered away the committee, the, the meeting finally said, you know, we really need to rotate service. I'm like, who's going to take this stupid thing? But someone did, and it got stolen out of the car. And I'm like, see, you should let me keep it. Um, but then I got other commitments. And I, um, some of the commitments I took, I thought, um, was for um, my ego. Well, I knew it was for my ego. Um, I wanted to be on the board because I knew you were doing all this wrong. So I, you know, got my year I kind of pushed through my steps four and five I think my my first step four when I did my inventory was a was like a paragraph and um it was really bad but my sponsor you know he helped me through my my uh my um in inventory and then I got on the board and I kind of ditched him and I sponsored myself for many years that didn't work out well but I stayed you know I stayed in Overs Anonymous I've done a lot of service I've done a lot of service at the intergroup level and birthday parties and all of that. And then um, about seven years ago, I decided to move to Wisconsin because I have family here. Um, and it's it was geographic, not going to lie. It was like, oh, grass is going to be greener. Well, snow, whatever. Um, and I moved here <clears throat> thinking that everything was going to be better. My life was going to be better. I was going to have my family. It was going to be wonderful. And I moved here, and it has been the hardest seven years ever most challenging, I will say, um, you know, because family, it's like when you're visiting, you're their whole world, right? When once I moved here, it was like, great, you're good. See ya. And they went off and did their life. And here I am all by myself in Wisconsin, which I've, you know, in Maine, in, in a small town of 3000 people, which seems big, but it's not when you're from Los Angeles. And um, I didn't know how to cope. We have we don't have a lot of meetings, especially in New Holstein, which is a very small town, about an hour and a half away from Milwaukee and an hour away from Green Bay. So there's just not a lot of recovery, you know? So I started meetings and, and we've just done the best we could. But um, I will tell you that 
my higher power has, and I have gotten closer since I've been here because that's all I've had to turn to. Um, and I have had many jobs since I've been here. When I was in California, I had one. I worked at the same community college from the, you know, from the time I was 18 until I left. And here I've had like five different jobs because it's just different here. Um, but this year, God has given me a gift. And um, I decided <clears throat> I was going to try to live on my pension, but I needed a little bit more. And I, I've decided I wanted to, I was, I've always wanted to teach. And I got this intuitive thought. And God said, you know, I believe, um, call this person that you used to work with from Lakeland and reach out to him and see if he can give you some advice. And he said, oh, let me see your resume again. He said, oh, yeah, let's have you teach a university course. Oh, my God. You know, so I'm going to be doing that starting in the summer. And I'm, it's just it's like a, an incredible gift. I've never done it before. Um, my poor first class. But um, I'm excited and I believe that God has brought this to me. Um, and I'm just so grateful. And um, my spirituality has grown tremendously since I said since living in Wisconsin, um, my prayer meditation has gotten different, um, but things have gotten harder. Um, my body has changed. I contracted shingles um, when I was about five years ago, and I live in constant nerve pain, and I'm on heavy-duty nerve medication every day. Um, I have terrible cluster headaches, which is a form of migraine that exacerbated since I've moved here. So medication-wise, and, you know, I guess I'm also getting the O word, older, um, is crazy. So how much time do I have, John? You have five minutes to your two minutes. Okay, thanks. Um, but I know um, without a shadow of a doubt that I am powerless over food and my life is unmanageable because every time I try to manage my life, I hit a wall. Um, whenever I decide to say, you know what, God, I got this. You go take care of the war in Ukraine or whatever else you got to do. I'll do this. Let me get in there and manipulate the situation or make the person, you know, let them know that I'm still here so that they'll call back or whatever. Whenever I try to manipulate anything and, you know, out of letting God take care of it, bam, it just, you know, everything just falls apart. Um, and I have to be constantly reminded about that. But um, I wanted to read something for um, from for today that, and it was from yesterday, actually, that I loved, and it said, um, it was from December 23rd, and it says, the recovering growth I've received from OA doing service astounds me. By sponsoring, I learned how to be in relationship. By leading workshops, I learned how to be a facilitator. By chairing a committee, I learned how to work on a team. And I was able to transfer those skills and that knowledge to my family. I learned how to listen and how to compromise for the good of OA as a whole. And I learned how to listen and compromise for the good of my family or my relationship. And th those are gifts that I could have only gotten in OA. Um, the service that I did put me on a path to go back to school when I was 40 and go back to school for four, seven years and get my bachelor's, my master's, and my doctorate in leadership. And that was because of the service that I did in OA. And I would never have done that. And I would never have been able to get supported through that um, had I been not been in OA because I would have just stayed and just kind of, I don't know, I don't even think I would have been alive because of the amount of chocolate I was consuming. I, I certainly would not have been alive today. Um, I am just immensely grateful. I get up every day and I um, I read the for today and, and um, Voices of Recovery. I'm sorry, that was from Voices of Recovery, not just for today. Um, and 
and I write every day in my journal. And I can't tell you every day that I've written in the past several months has been, I'm grateful for today. And I'm grateful for God today that have given me so much. Um, and I try to give back and, um, I have, uh, three dogs and three cats. So I have a very crazy household. Um, I have a house that I never would have had in, in California because I couldn't have afforded it. Um, and I'm just, I have my health. I mean, yes, I live in constant pain, but so what other people do too. Um, and I'm just grateful. I'm so grateful. Um, I'm grateful that I have a meeting in several meetings in, in this area that, you know, we have, at least I have zoom meetings. Um, you know, it's, it's a great life. It's a great life. And, um, all I can say is that I would not have gotten it had I not walked through the doors of Orwell's Anonymous. Um, I, and I, and that God had wanted me to stay. So I want to say thank you. Um, happy holidays to everybody. I know there's a lot of holidays, so I'm going to just say happy holidays to everybody. And, um, Ellie, bless you, and thank you so much again for asking me. It's been such an honor and a privilege. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Well, I thought they were, but... When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you ask, ask a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Okay. Hmm. Oh, John B. All right. Asked John and you. There you go. Thanks, Tony. It's really good to see you. You really helped me a lot at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, what do you do on a daily basis to maintain your abstinence in your program, Tony? Please. Thanks. So what I do on a daily basis to maintain my absence in my program as is um, when I get up, the first thing that I usually see other than a cat staring at me at three o'clock in the morning, because I have a cat that wakes me up every morning, 365 days a year at 3 a.m., is a sign that says, um, begin each day with a grateful heart. Um, so I begin my prayer and meditation, um, and I you know, pray for all the people that I need to pray for, um, asking, mm -hmm. and then ask God how I can be helpful. Um, and after I do my daily things and I have you know, my breakfast, which is cereal, um, you know, I read my for today and uh, voices of recovery. I write, um, and that's what I do on a daily basis. I go to meetings. Um, I go to zoom meetings. I go to in-person meetings. Um, I take, I took a call right before this meeting from a fellow who is also a transplant, um, into Wisconsin. And we shared some little sob stories there. Um, but I just try to be available, um, and then do what I can do for my recovery by going to meetings and I talk to my sponsor and yeah, so that's what I do on a daily basis. Hope that answers your question, John. It's good to see you. Uh, Julia, please unmute. Hi, my name's Julia. I'm a compulsive overeater, grateful to be recovering. Um, thank you, Tony. And it's great. I, uh, my question is, have you ever had a last in your program? Um, I only say relapse, but have you ever had a lapse in your program? And if so, how did you get back on track? Um, let me just clarify. Do you mean like a break in my abstinence or just, or what? Well, a break in your you abstinence yeah. or if you moved away from the program. Um, I, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, 
I have never broken my absence. My absence, I have a bottom line absence, which was when I came, the first day I came into the program, I remember people talking about absence and I took an absence that I knew I could live with on a daily basis and wasn't a prison sentence. Because if I had came in to this, to Overzonas and said, I'm never going to have this, 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 and laid out, you know, 50 foods or whatever, um, I would have break, broken it within whatever period of time. So I had to start with something I knew I could live with on a daily basis. And for me, that was no chocolate and no Pepsi products. That's how it started. I still had peanut butter and recreational sugar and all that other stuff. And I did that. And then my abstinence kind of evolved from there. Um, as I was in the program, I added things to my absence. I have never take, you know, taken things back. I've always added things to it, but I don't, you know, take things off the table because I, I just think that would be playing with it for me, for me, for me, for me. I just want to make sure this is all about me. Um, this is my stuff. But I, um, as far as moving away from the program, I have always gone to meetings. I have always done service. Um, I, no, I think I've always been kind of involved that way. Um, maybe stronger in sometimes, like, you know, when I was in LA, I was very, I had a really strong um, recovery network and things like that. And here, not so much. So I feel at a loss. So I don't know if that's kind of, um, maybe what you're alluding to, but um, I, I always know that, that my program is here if I want it. So no, I haven't, I haven't broken it that way, no. And what about any lapses with higher power? Like, did you come in right away and feel a connection to a higher power or did that build? Okay, yeah, great question. Um, so yes, when I first came in, um, I did not want to deal with the God stuff. Um, that didn't work for me because I had grown up with a, um, in a household that um, my parent, my mom was a convenience Catholic or a holiday Catholic. She went to church on holidays. My dad was, I think he was Lutheran and whatever. And there was just not a religion growing from my house. And then I came in believing that no God really cared about me enough. So I didn't really want to deal with that. Um, and so my spiritual experience when I was about six months abstinent really changed everything for me where I challenged God to, you know, okay, if you're, if you're really here, then I want a meeting to be right here where I am right now. There was a meeting across the street. All right, fine. Then there has to be a meeting at this time. I, the meeting directory kind of slid out from, I stopped at a light. It was there. There was a meeting right across the street at the time. So my spiritual experience was like, okay, okay, okay. I got it. You know, and then I started to open up by opening up. It's gotten bigger. Um, until I have a different higher power that I have today. My higher power has evolved. I mean, I didn't think my higher power would ever love me. Um, I didn't think because I was a gay man that uh, I could be loved by a higher power. I thought I was bad. That's what I was told. Um, but it's changed. Um, and now I know that my God loves me. And everything that I've ever gotten or everything that I've ever gotten through in life, I've looked back and it's better than I ever could have imagined or done for myself. So... By that stretch, I believe in my higher power has changed. So hopefully that answers your questions. If not, I'll be around and you can, we can talk again. But Marcy. Thank you. Hi, Tony. It's Hi, Marcy. Marcy. I'm a grateful compulsive <laughs> overeater. And I really just wanted to say I love you and thank you for keeping the seats warm until I could get here. And um, I wanted to ask you about your evolution with sponsorship. Um, thank you. Okay. Um, so when I started sponsoring, I, I, well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that I could sponsor. Um, my, my sponsor, um, who I have now is not that man who brought me in that, that man who brought me in, um, he kind of 
um, asked me to find a different sponsor and I found the one that I have now and he has 44 years um, of absence and he said one day to me it's time for you to give back um, you need to sponsor and so I oh my god I was the I was probably the worst sponsor ever I mean I can't tell you how many people I tried to sponsor and they fired me um, and I just I never took it personally because I always thought you know what I'm here to give you my experience strength and hope and if you can't get it from me, then you should get it from someone else. But I did, um, probably about 20 years ago, I started sponsoring people in a different way. And it was the way my sponsor had me sponsor, which is going through the big book, um, writing a paragraph a day. We would highlight, we would talk about it. Um, so it has evolved. Um, and I don't, um, I don't, I have one sponsee here. And it's funny, you know, God gives me the sponsees that are kind of like myself. Um, but she's uh she's yeah we're you know she goes through that self will run riot kind of a day and so am i and so it's it's nice to be able to have that contact with her um but right now i'm only sponsoring um one person um and you know i'm open to sponsoring more i just haven't it just has not um, been my path right now since i moved to wisconsin so hopefully that answers your question marcy and good to see you love you um, let's see, who's next? Is it, I don't know if it's Bob or Ben. Bob, let's go with Bob first, I guess. He's the one I see. Hey, Tony, thank you um, very much for your share. Do you make outreach calls and how do you do it? Um, I am bad at outreach calls. I, um, I've tried them and um, that's not my strength. I like taking them, but I'm not good at making them. But I love taking them, so... You know, I'm good for anybody who wants to outreach calls. I'm good. I'm here, um, but I'm not good at making them. Sorry, I wish I was. That's just not my thing. Sorry. Um, Vincent. Hi, Tony. Thank you again for your share. I have a question about honesty. Uh, do you think that uh, your, I'm going to say, relationship with honesty has actually changed in the program? Have you actually become a more honest person or how has that evolved, if, if at all? Thank you for that question, Vincent. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know what, before I came into this program and, you know, I was a liar, a cheat, and a thief. Um, you know, I stole, I lied, I would, you know, whatever I needed to do to get what I needed to get. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, some of it was people pleasing. I wanted to, you to like me, so I would say whatever I thought you wanted me to say, um, and I wanted to be looked at as the good little kid or, you know, young man or whatever. So I did whatever I had to do to fit in and to, you know, conform. Um, and then when I got to Overs Anonymous and I did my um, fourth step and my fifth step, um, you know, that my first one was kind of tragic, but my second one was deeper. Um, and I think that's when I really got in touch with my honesty and my second four step because it was really, we did questions and it was really much, much um, more revealing to me. Um, and now, I mean, I, as I said, you know, I, um, I feel more at ease being honest than I ever have been um, because really this is what you get. You get what you get. You see it, this is it. Um, and I don't need to pretend anymore. I don't need to um, put on a false air. Um, I, I just, I have to be me. And a lot of it could be, you know, the A word, age. But um, it, it's just that 
I, I just, I know that God made me and, um, and whatever God wants me to be is where I am today. So I, I just have to be as honest and forthcoming as I can be. And, um, you know, just put out there what, what I am. Um, and I'm evolving. I'm not, I'm not what I was yesterday. And I'm certainly not, I'm not the potential that I could be tomorrow. So, um, I hope that answers your question. Ellie. Tony. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Um, you talked about initially having uh, the thought that the your higher power didn't love you. Mm -hmm. um, in that growth, as I hear it, he, she, it does love, care about you. How is it that you felt about yourself and how do you feel self now in terms of self-love, self-esteem, etc.? Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, I had a lot of shame um, when I, you know, growing up, uh, you know, that I was fat. I was, I was, and I didn't even know about, you know, that I was gay until really till I was 16. And, um, I, my mother was just an incredible woman. She was so progressive by her standards. And I remember telling her, going to her and saying, you know, trying to spit it out. And she finally said, you're trying to tell me you're gay. And I'm like, yes, no. Hey, hey, hey. And she, and she said, I love you. And I just want the best for you. Um, and so that started some self-love right there. Then I got, that was actually before I got to the program or maybe I, was, I don't think I was in the program yet but um and then when I got here and I I had my spiritual experience I kind of that that cracked the door open a little bit that there was a God that loved me enough to say okay I'm going to show you these signs you know I'm here but I wasn't you know quite ready to hand over the reins yet um and so um I little by little it's taken me a long time and a lot of okay, um working with my sponsor where he shows me that god loves me even when i don't love myself um but the shame and vulnerability is a big piece of it and i um you, you know it's it, it's always a work in progress there are days when i'm like i love myself everything's great and i know god loves me and then there are days where i'm like what the hell what a piece of crap you know i mean you can't even do this right um and you can, and I and asking for help. I think that's another God thing where I have a tremendous problem asking for help, like asking for the neighbor to help me cart brush down to the local dump. I mean, I, I'm like, no, I'll just do it myself. I, you know, even though I can't, he has a truck. I don't have a truck. He has a truck. He's, he's like, I can do this. It's no big deal. No, it's okay. You know, I'm not worthy. Um, and that's a God thing and trying to be worthy trying to be worthy of people's love, people's friendship, because I think God comes through people. So um, it's a work in progress. Um, but I think I love myself more today and I have better self-esteem today than I ever have because of all these wonderful things that I have in my, in my, in my life and because of programs. So hopefully that answers your question, Ellie. Frank. Uh, thank you, Tony. Wow. Uh, thanks for your service and what a great share and I want to piggyback a little bit on Ellie's question um, in terms of you know uh, you have a faith in a higher power and that's served you well how do you reconcile 
uh, your recent health issues, you know, in the last five years, shingles and all those sorts of things with that faith. Uh, and how was it initially? It was like, oh, my goodness, look mm -hmm. at all I've done. And, and now this sort of thing. Yeah. And how do you continue to work through that? Yeah, because sometimes it does seem unfair that our higher power kind of does no. this stuff to us no. or allows this to happen when we seem to be going down this, this right good path. Thanks for your question, Frank. Yes, as I as I alluded to, um, you know, this has been the hardest seven years moving here because I've been I don't have the network that I have that I had in California. I don't have all the I've had friends there since you know childhood and you know a lot of OA friends and so I'm basically on my own. And then you know I come here and I get all these health challenges and I buy a house that you know is way too big for me, fifteen hundred square feet and all these bedrooms and, you know, the health challenges. And I've had to go to the hospital a couple times with back issues that they can't really figure out, but it's excruciating pain. And, um, you know, yeah, there's some times where I'm like, what, what the hell, you know, like, why, like, what have I done? You know, like I haven't, I'm just trying to survive here, but then the pain goes away, you know, and the medication works. Um, and, you know what? Thank God. And the God, okay. And, and the medication helps me. I mean, yes, it's a lot of medication. I'd rather not have to take, you know, 2,100 milligrams of gabapentin a day. Yeah. I'd love not to have that in my body, but I don't want to have the pain either. And, you know, God made the medication. So I'm like, Hey, we're good. As long as you find me something to get through the day, you know, then that's what you want me to do. That's the, the, hey, the, the action that I have to take. Cause I have to ask God, okay, grant me the strength to accept the things I cannot change. I cannot change that I have the shingles pain. I can't. There's nothing they can do. They said it's going to be probably forever, my entire life. And so, but, and the courage to change the things I can, so I can take the medication, you know, or I cannot take the medication and be in pain and do it that way. I don't know, but I'd rather, I'm a wimp. I, I don't like pain. I'm not into that, not, not doing it. So I'm going to take the medication to, and then I believe that, that that's how God gets me through the day and gives me the serenity and the peace to know that, okay, I can get up, I can move, I can, you know, do this. Um, I don't have that back pain today. Great. I have to live in today. I have to live in today and today I'm good. That's all I have. So hopefully that help answers your question. Anyone else? We have, I don't know, like three minutes probably. Patricia, go ahead, please. Hi, Tony. Thank you. Hi. Um, I'm curious about um, have people around you noticed the change in you when, you know, and and how did they react to you? The change meaning, I guess I need more clarification on that. I just mean as you become abstinent, like. Oh. Okay. Yes, I, I, yes, when I first came in, I was a sarcastic little brat. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody on the call that remembers, probably Ellie, Pam, you might have, well, I don't know, that was, that was a little bit, I was a little bit younger then, but I came in at 21 years old. And so I thought I knew everything. You know, like I said, I was going to change the world. It's going to fix all you OA people because you're doing it wrong. Um, and uh, um, also, I didn't want to, I didn't want anyone to tell me anything, you know, and I remember my sponsor's um, sister said to me, who was a long timer in another program said, honey, you need to sit down, shut up and listen. Um, and that's about it. And that kind of put me in my place. And I, um, I had to learn 
to be teachable. Um, and once I was, once I'm teachable, um, then all of those character defects started to slip away. I worked on those. They I asked for to be removed, and they they were removed. Some of them come back. The sarcasm it comes back. <laughs> um, but other character defects, you know, I worked on a lot. So I and people did notice the change. And I think I've matured from being a 21 year old brat coming into this fellowship to um, I don't know what does my sponsor call it? Uh, an, well, it, I guess it's an elder statesman is but um i certainly don't feel i can fix oa anymore um i certainly believe that oa has fixed me um and uh, through that service i've worked on a lot of character defects um and those brought up a lot um but i do believe that people have noticed outside the rooms a change more than maybe people in the rooms um i think that i've just matured into a a, a man that i want to be so um, I would hope that anyway. I mean, no one said anything, you know, I guess I could do a poll, <laughs> make sure. But um, for right now, I think, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. So if you have a quick question. Hello, my name is Richard. Yes. And uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, Hi, Richard. Can you tell me when you've increased your spiritualism or maintain your spiritualism? Do you uh, meditate and pray or uh, what do you do? Thanks, Richard. Yes. Uh, on a daily basis, I pray and meditate. Um, I say the first three steps um, to help guide me in my prayer and meditation. Um, I read the voices of recovery and the just for today, and I journal um, about recovery in my journal. So those are what I do to increase my program of recovery and spirituality. So, and thank you for your question, Richard. Nice of you to join us.